Thank you. I just want to open his word here together to what we read last week. I want to start with the same verse, and it's in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. We just thank you, God, again for your word, and we just thank you, Lord. You bring it to life, Lord, even as these verses, Lord, in Hebrews tell us that it's living, Lord. It's alive and it's living today, Lord, that you rose again, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word is alive. And Holy Spirit, you are here with us to bring it to life present day in Jesus' name. So Hebrews 4, verse 1, and let's just go right into his word, God's promise of entering his rest. Everybody say, enter his rest. It says God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Present tense, God is still offering, and he made a way through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, through the blood, through the purchasing of your life, through the cross, through redemption, through a covering, and then through a seal of the Holy Spirit upon you to have a place with God. He gave you a place with Him. He gave you a seat with Him to sit with God. And I say very often because I think it needs to be crushed, this lie that you are just an animal, this lie that you are an accident, they are lies, and they need to be said often because it's not even, it's not even taught as, as a theory. It's taught as fact, and it is such a mockery of God and a mockery of His Word and a mockery of His creation and a mockery of who you are. It's really a slap in the face of who you are. You are not an animal, but you are made in the image of God, and you are created to have fellowship with God, and you are created to sit with him for eternity. And the devil came in and messed some things up there for a season. God is faithful though, isn't he? God was not surprised. God had a plan and a purpose through Jesus, and he's been working on his plan. And in Hebrews 4, it's referencing what was uh, a plan, not the grand plan, not the whole plan of Jesus, but a pre-plan of Jesus, right, where they went into a physical promised land. But then in Hebrews 4, which is pointing towards Jesus, the whole book of Hebrews, right, is telling them, hey, uh, there was a way and there was, there was a pattern and it all points to Jesus. And so it still stands. There is a rest. There is a promise that still stands, so we ought to tremble. Everybody say, we ought to tremble. It tells us to be serious about this, that this is a serious thing. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For only we, verse 3 says, who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. So the Bible says that there was a rest that was ready since he made the world. See, that was always his plan. On the seventh day, it says that God rested. And the only reason that we were out of rest was because of our flesh, because of sin, right? The devil tricked us into thinking we know better than God. The simplicity of what happened in the garden was that we know better, 
and they use their emotions, they use their feelings, they use their sight. The fruit looked good. And Adam looked at the fruit in Eve's hand and said, yeah, I'll take that. And sin happened. Okay, so God, though, made a way through Jesus to bring us back to that place of rest that he always intended for us. He always intended for you to be at rest, to not labor and strive. And so I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but I wanted to start here because it says in verse 9, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Everybody say, there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. It says in verse 10, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. And then I want to read verse 11 in the Amplified. It says, let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently. Let's read that again. It says, let us therefore, and see what the Amplified does. Anybody understand what the Amplified does? It's not adding, some people think they're adding words to the Bible. All they're doing is going into the Hebrew or the Greek that the Bible was translated from, and they're just giving some explanation of what those words that we'll just, we just, you know, uh, translated as strive or dil be diligent, but it means so many things. So the Amplified is not adding anything and it's explaining what the original meaning of what that Greek word he was here. And it's to be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest. Now, isn't that funny? I said last week, that's ironic. Does anybody know what ironic means? <laughs> This might be called or an oxymoron, right? It's to strive to not strive. Strive to rest. And it's because God's talking about a rest that has nothing to do with your physical condition. Although last week we talked, though, when your body is physically exerted, when your mind is physically exerted, your spirit is affected, right? So we want to be diligent to, to keep that mind at ease and not be doing too much. We don't need to do everything the world expects of us so that our spirit can stay in a place of rest. But that, I, I mentioned that, and I think that that needs to be said again, but I, I need to preach that it's so much bigger than that. There is a rest that is beyond your mental state and your physical state. There is a rest that is greater than the rest that this world calls rest. And it's a complete and total trust in God. It's a, it's a state in your spirit that is settled. That doesn't matter what happens, who says what, who does what, World War III tomorrow, right? The end times tomorrow or a thousand more years of peace. It's all the same to you because you've already settled it with God, that I'm a son or daughter of God, that I've been made in his image, that I'm already seated with him at the right hand of God in Christ with the seal of the Holy Spirit, and the circumstances around me are irrelevant. 
That's the rest that God's trying to get us to. And I'm preaching to myself too today. I really am because I'm not there yet. I'm not preaching to you like, hey, I got this and, and you need to get what I've got. I know I have the revelation of it just as I know you know what I'm saying here, but I want to get there just as badly as I'm preaching to you to get there. Because not only do we need to be in that rest in any state, let's just say that again, no matter what the conditions are, there is a place of rest that we were called to. We were literally created to be in with God. But let me say this as well. Who is aware that the world is not slowing down? Is anybody aware that God's timeline is ticking fast? Okay, so it, the circumstances are irrelevant, but if we can't figure out how to walk and rest now when things are good in this nation and things are okay. I mean, you, we all have daily, there are, there are people passing away, there's financial struggles, there's physical things in your own body, right? There's children you're raising or whatever. There's always going to be stuff around you, but I'm talking like end times Bible stuff that the Bible says is coming eventually. Imagine if you can't be in rest with, I don't want to demean your, your, and make your trial seem like it's irrelevant in the sense that you're not feeling it. But imagine if some real chaos, I'm talking a tornado and a flood and a hurricane and a bomb and, a, and uh, an asteroid and sickness and military all at once. Imagine how we'll be if we don't get into this place of rest now. God wants us to be in a place of rest, first of all, because I, I, I want to just preach it's because it's the place we should be in. But because we're human beings, I'm going to preach like they did in the Word, like the prophets did in the Old Testament with warning as well. I want to I tell you, just like when we witness to someone, I want to tell them, God loves you. Don't you want to just know His love and live with Him in eternity? I wish that preaching to somebody who's unsaved was just that. But sometimes we have to do the other side, don't we? The person who won't hear the grace and the good news of the gospel also has to hear the other side, which Jesus was not afraid to talk about either. Unfortunately, which is to tell them that there's also hell. I don't want to tell you about that. I'd rather just don't even, you don't need to worry about hell. Just worry about his love. And then that's a non-issue. But if you really won't get it, if you really won't listen to the love part, I also have to tell you about the other part. And so today I really just want us to get it because this is a place that God is calling us into in him, this place of rest in him that he wants us to live in. It's the best place you could be in. You will be a better parent, better husband, better wife, better father, better son, better daughter, better worker, co-worker, boss, friend, whatever your place is on this earth, if you could get into that place in God and walk in that place. Just that alone is the reason and is worth it. But if and I think you will, but maybe there's somebody listening on the podcast that is saying, I don't really care. I just want to do what I want to do. 
If you won't listen to that, let me tell you, there's still, there is a flood coming. Eventually, to your life, there is a flood coming, and there's, if you don't prepare, if you don't get into that place of rest now, you will never, ever survive. That's just the Word of God, over and over and over and over and over again. The book is big, isn't it? Who's ever sat down and read the Bible in a day? Anybody? Who's read your Bible in a year? Some of you have. And yet it's the same theme over and over again. We trust God. We don't trust God. We trust God. We don't trust God. Okay, I have to punish you and deal with you. Okay, Lord, we're sorry. Back into our own thing. Okay, Lord, we're sorry. Back into our own thing. Over and over again and over again and over again. And God is so gracious, isn't he? He didn't even withhold his own son. His love was so great and so immense that even while we were still sinners, we didn't even commit our sins yet 2,000 years ago. And he already died for them. He's so gracious and merciful. That should be enough to get into his rest and to want his rest, to want what he says is the place we're supposed to live in. That should be enough. And if that's not enough, I'm going to say it again. That's fine, but the flood is coming. Trials, tribulations, an end to your life will come. And if you don't want to walk in that place, you are missing out. And God really wants you to be in that place. But then there's going to be some consequences that is a different sermon. I don't want to preach today, but we don't want to face those things and we're not going to, are we? We're going to remain in Him. It says... To enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. So the rest of God is belief in God. I want you to say that back to me. The rest of God is belief in God. And the rest of God, let's say it back to me, the rest of God is obedience to God. You can't obey what you don't know. You can't obey what you don't believe. So we have to know it. That's why we get in His Word. That's why we spend time around other believers and not the world, right? We surround ourselves with wholesome people, wholesome teaching with His Word, and then we come into a place of belief, and then we come into a place of obedience, right? And that's a process that grace covers as long as it's still moving. Grace is there, right? And even grace, grace covers even when, when we're not for a long, 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 long time. And you know when grace starts, starts winding down because things start shaking and changing. And if you've been there, you know in your heart, okay, Lord, it's time to come back. Right? He starts removing it, not because he doesn't love you, but because he wants to get you back into that place of rest with him. So I just want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6. 
And I needed to do that uh, verse strongly again because I want to take us somewhere today, and it's in verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, This is the account of Noah. Everybody say Noah. Noah was the most popular boy's name. I think it was the last, uh, it was in the last five years, it was at least one or two of those years in this last five years, most popular boy's name. I'm not going to get weird and say, you know, everything's a sign, but it's interesting. It's certainly interesting to note that this 6,000-year-old name is suddenly the most popular boy's name, and the Bible says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. I'm not saying that we need to get weird, but you know, also don't forget three wise men came and worshiped Jesus because they saw a star in the sky. All right, so don't call me weird. All right, the whole Bible is filled with that. So I'm not going to make any plans or make any changes or start building an ark outside because it's the most popular name. But it is something interesting to note. All right, so that was that. That said. So it says in Genesis 6, verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at that time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. It says, Noah was the father, verse 10, of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So what we're about to read about was in response to God viewing his world, his creation, as corrupt and violent. It was filled and everyone on earth was corrupt. It was filled with violence, with corruption. And it says in verse 13, so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Don't we love our word? I know I mentioned this It's hard for me to remember what I preach because I go off notes so many times that I mention things, but I know sometime in the last months I talked about Noah, so I don't remember when that was, but I know it was sometime in the last few months, but I did know, and you may have heard me say it then, it's funny that Noah is a children's story, and it's cute, and we paint him on nursery walls because it says, verse 13, I've decided to destroy all living creatures. And yes, I wipe, out, wipe them all out along with the earth. What a cute children's story. Every living thing, every person, every animal, every little tiny baby bunny, dead. Well, God doesn't leave us there, does he? It says in verse 14 that God said to Noah, I want you to build an ark. He says, I want you to build a large boat 
from cypress wood or gopher wood, depending on your translation, and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Verse 15, I want you to make it 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 45 feet high and leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat and put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Did you guys just hear that? Did you just hear what God said to Noah? Hey, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth and, and I want you to embark on an enormous possibly depending on how we don't exactly know, but based on the years, somewhere at the most 100 years, but somewhere within a 100-year project. Hey, I want you to begin a 100-year project. And it says, verse 17, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. Verse 18, but I will confirm... Uh, or your translation might say, or establish my covenant with you. So enter the boat, go into the ark, he says. Go into the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood, and pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that's scurries along the ground, will come to you to be kept alive. Verse 21, and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for, the, and for all the animals. <laughs> I read this story so differently than I think I've ever read it. I was just seeking the Lord and, and I knew I was just seeking him about that rest, that place of rest. And while I'm seeking him, I sat down, now this was really interesting, I sat down and I just wrote out a little um, analogy that I thought was in my head and realized, wait a second, there's a story about this. And I was just sitting, um, just, I mean, trying to be just mind, mindless, not trying to think of anything in this world, but just, just thinking of the Lord and... All of a sudden, I thought, uh, this life is kind of like an ocean. If we do nothing, we'll be taken and tossed about by its currents. And if we try to swim in this ocean, especially against the current, we'll wear ourselves out and die. Well, then I was meditating. I thought, well, but God gives us strength to battle the current. And then I thought, wait a second. He doesn't just give us strength to battle the current. Because you're, then you're still swimming, 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 and, and you will still, whether it's his strength or not, he's, that's not his design. It's really his design is, I said, better yet, he gives you a life raft, a paddle, and teammates to get you to your destination. And it still takes determination and direction to go where we need to go and get out of the currents of evil. But it's so much bigger than what we could have done on our own. And then suddenly I, I said, I wrote down, we need to get into a place of rest, the ark. 
And suddenly my little analogy in my mind was, wait a second, this is, that's the Lord. That's not my little analogy that, that is just an ocean. And, and we are, we're born kind of like floating as in, in sin. We're not born because God designed it that way. But when we're born, we're kind of just floating about, right? People are like, well, what am I going to do with my life? And they start making plans and purposes. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go here. And I'm going to be this and, and, and all that. And, and I'm going to have to do this and that to get there. And we just start making plans. And, and we're tossed and taken by the currents of this world and whatever happens to us. And, and many try to swim so hard in it, right? And, try, and, and they end up stressing themselves out and can't do it. And they, and they die, right? The ocean still exists, though. When we come to Christ, we are not immediately evacuated from this earth. So God takes you and puts you inside him. He takes you and puts you in a lifeboat. You are still in the ocean. He gives you a paddle, the word of God. He gives you the strength, the Holy Spirit. He tells you where to get to. Just keep paddling. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to let any sharks come up and eat you, take your raft out. God made a way for us. And it's interesting because Noah was a, uh, I believe, a literal story, but also is a spiritual story to what he asks of us. The Lord is telling us today that there is a destruction that is coming to flesh. And I'm not even talking about the end. That was something I felt like it needed to be mentioned strongly, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about without Christ. It says that our sin, our flesh will die, right? If you live by the spirit, you will live. If you live by the flesh, you will die. So there is death without God. And God said, but I, I have a strategy. Everybody say he has a strategy. There is death without God, but there was a strategy through God. And it's interesting because God could have saved Noah and the animals in a million different ways. God could have just taken Noah and his family and just put them on another planet temporarily. He could have put them in heaven for a little while temporarily. He could have just remade animals because he did it once before and it when I read my word, it was pretty easy. All he had to do was speak it, and it existed. So why all this? Why all this? I think it's fine to question. It's fine to wonder. It's fine to sit down and to study and to think about things and wonder about the stars and the planets and heaven and earth and, and the spirit and the unseen and are those fine it's fine for you to do in your studies and in your thinking but to be honest as believers just like Noah did and honestly every single character in the entire Bible had to do you need to take all the wondering and all the questioning and say okay those are interesting questions but I'm not going to question God I'm not going to question you though God I mean it, I don't know why he chose, as I've said many, many times, to do anything through us, but he does. This is his way. This is his way, and it's always been his way. We're at Genesis 6, and his plan to preserve 
you, because you came from Noah, you came from Adam, but you also came from Noah, all right? You're somewhere in that seed. His plan to preserve your life and his plan to preserve this earth and the animal kingdom was through us, through human beings, through Noah and his family. And not only was his plan that, but it, it was hard work. Everybody say it was hard work. God has a plan here to literally save all of creation's life. All of creation will be saved. There, are, there is a, a tremendous loss, and, and, and if we can't understand it, imagine God's sorrow and hurt and tears for all the loss of his creation. So let's just leave that. We just need to leave that in, in heaven. That's gonna, those are heaven questions. Those are not earth answered questions of the, mis you know, how can God, how can such a good God cause so much trouble? How can such a loving God, God uh, let an earth be so hateful and hurtful, right? But we need to leave those questions to the side. Those are things that we don't understand. We need to see that God loves us so much on the other side that he made a way and he always makes a way. But when I read my word and, and, for, and for today, specifically Noah's story, it's always the same. God makes a way, but it's God's pattern, God's timing, and for whatever reason, it involves us. Even if it's him supernaturally still, and I've been on this theme for the last months here, that it's him, but it's you, but it's still him, but it's still fully him. It's 100% him, and yet he's working through you. I wonder the question here, did God command Noah or did he suggest to him to build the ark? Did Noah have a choice here? I'm not even going to answer that. I just want you to ponder that. But I do want to say this. I don't think we take God's command serious enough. And to be honest, I don't think we know what they are sometimes. So many things we've been so flippant about in him and flippant about in his word that we're blaming God for something we did or didn't do. And God's a God of restoration, of redemption. He'll make a way and he always will make a way. But God has a plan and God has a pattern. And when I read my word, we need to get to this place of rest, but it's not an earthly rest. It's not an earthly rest. Don't try to say, well, I entered rest. I don't need. I don't need to do anything anymore. I don't need to do anything because Jesus did it all. That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil. That's a, it sounds so good. It's like sugar on poison. I don't need to do anything because Jesus did it all. It's not necessarily wrong in its statement, but its intent is wrong. It takes you out of the equation that you are just irrelevant. Jesus just saved you and that's that and, and you don't have to worry about anything. And yet when I read my word, I read story after story like this where God tells Noah, and I want to read it again. I read it once. I'm not going to read every single part, but I want you to build an ark that's 450 feet long. Do you realize the beams that you would have to hew out of 
massive trees with hand tools. I mean, maybe God sent angels to help them, but I don't see that in my Bible. So I'm not going to assume that. And maybe there was, you know, he hired up like uh, some primitive race, you know, across the border somewhere from him that, you know, helped him build some, some massive thing. I don't see any of that in the scriptures. All I see is that he tells Noah to do it with no help at all. And it makes sense that Noah did it himself because it took him a pro- it took possibly up to 100 years to build this thing. 75 feet wide, that's the length of this room right here, just in its width. And 45 feet high. Do you realize it's one thing to cut down a tree and drag it into place? Do you know what it takes to put a beam to support a 450-foot boat 45 feet high? <laughs> we just breeze over these things, you're right? Who's read your word and just breeze over these facts? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, who cares? The, the boat, I mean, it's amazing, it's cool, but who cares about the details? It's an arc, and, right? Dawn's laughing because she does that. Because it's not that important. And yet, the Bible records it for a reason. I think so that we get the fact that, wait a second, this was an enormous feat. This was an enormous task that God put on Noah. Now, who was going to save creation? Was Noah going to save creation? Let's just get this straight. Is Noah going to save creation? Whose plan is it? God's. Whose wood is it? Whose breath is Noah using while he builds this thing? So the thing is, the devil makes it sound sweet. You don't need to do nothing because God's done it all. And yet when I read my word, it says that Noah had to build a 450 foot long ark. And I want you to, not just that, I want you to build three decks inside. Well, we want this to be a nice ark, Noah. And we, got, I have this, we need a lot of rooms, a lot of stuff going in there. And uh, by the way, I also want you to, I want you to save all of the animals. I'll, I'll bring them to you. It's going to be supernatural. I'll bring you the animals, but um, I'm not going to feed them. You're going to have to feed them too. Do you know what kind of workload it would take to feed? I mean, I don't know. Maybe animals were different then. My animals eat a lot. Do you know what it would take to feed the animals in this ark? for this journey? Do you know how much food you'd have to have stored up? There is not one scripture in here that tells us that God did anything supernatural as far as like making their food last or making the food last in their stomachs longer. I mean, maybe he did all of those things, but not, it's not here. So I'm not going to assume those things. What, when I read it, he says, I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. Listen, your life is ticking. Your breath is running out. Creation is coming to an end. Let's just establish some things. Let's take no and put it 2019. Some things are coming to an end and your life is not going to be here forever. And there's an end coming. There's a flood coming. And, but I've got a strategy. It's through my son. It's through his blood. It's through the Holy Spirit on you. It's his strength. It won't be you, but you got to listen to me. I, I preserved my word. It's big and fat and it takes you a year to read for a reason because I have a lot of details and a lot of things that you can't be breezing over and think this is flippant and this is simple and, and that this is not important because one day it's going to rain and whether you're ready or not, it's going to be raining. 
And he says, but I will confirm my covenant. See, the Lord's going to do it. The Lord's going to do it. And then he says, I love this. It says, verse 21, as I mentioned, he says, be sure to take on board. I love that. I just love this. Be sure. Oh, Noah, by the way, take on board enough food for your family and all the animals. See, resting in God is trusting in God. It's believing what he says, but it's also doing what he says. Resting in God is specific. Resting in God, I'm talking about rest, and yet I'm talking what looks like, in the human sense, hard work. But it's because there is a saving of the soul. Come on, there's a saving of humanity here. Your body is going to die anyway. Don't worry about the body. Don't worry about those things. That's what Jesus tells us. Why are you worried? Those things don't matter. I need to save creation. I have a salvation plan. I need to save creation. Do you hear me? I'm going to save creation, but you've got to be diligent about what I've asked you to do because time is ticking. Anybody getting anything out of this? See, God is strategic. He's got a strategy, and it involves you. Say, God's got a strategy, and it involves me. Remember, God told Joshua the same thing. He said, you make your way prosperous. Joshua, if you will keep my word in your mouth, and you will never let my word out of your mouth, okay, so it's my word. Okay, it's still God. We're not taking anything from God. This is not taking any deity or Godness from God. But if you will chew on my word, you will make your own way prosperous. Like I said from the beginning of the sermon, I want to preach this sermon just because this is a place I want to live in. If God says that he wants us to be in a rest, then I want to just listen to him because that's what he says and get into his rest. If I won't listen to him for that, it's kind of like a dad. Listen, daughter, I don't want you out after 10 o'clock at night. As a daughter, you could just listen and say, well, my dad loves me. Or if you won't get it, then he's got to tell you the gruesome facts. This is what happens to girls out after 10 in the dark, in the city, by yourself. This is what happens. And there will be consequences. So you can listen to God for love or you can listen to God for law. Do you see how, the, see how we're freed from the law, but the law didn't go away. We just don't worry about the law because we're so in love. Come on. We've been freed from law and we're in love. It's not that the law doesn't exist. The law of gravity still exists. You jump out of an airplane, you will die. Okay, the law didn't leave. The law didn't leave. But we don't worry about the law because we're, we're not even there. The Holy Spirit's like, don't you dare jump out of that airplane without that parachute. That would be dumb. We're not even attempting, we're not near the law. It's not that the laws don't exist. There is a timeline, there's a plan, and there's a law of God, but we've been freed from it through Jesus Christ and because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But the Holy Spirit is prompting us. He's telling us the same things like God told Noah. There's some preparations. You got to deal with the flesh. You got to deal with some things in your life. If you don't deal with them in your life, they will shipwreck you. If you don't deal with this unforgiveness and this bitterness and this jealousy and this envy, one day a flood will come and your boat will not be ready. And not only will you be lost, but so will the whole world around you be gone. And the Lord's warning us. 
but he's strategic. There's a way. And why is he strategic? Because there is an enemy, and we don't quite understand it, and that's not today's sermon, to try to understand God. I don't think I'll ever preach that sermon. But it's the fact that he does exist, that there is trials, that there is tribulation, but God preserves us if we'll listen to him, but there's a way. Come on, everybody say it again. There's a way. I keep going, as you know, always. I just want to say a few more points. I thought this was interesting. As I was meditating about this sermon, and I, I've heard this many times, but I truly believe it and I live by it. Rest means you keep doing what he told you until he directs you otherwise. Do you realize that it was God tells him, hey, I'm going to build an ark, and it's a hundred years. Imagine a hundred years after, imagine I come and tell you, listen, I want you to do something. I mean, 20 minutes later, we're wondering what else I should be doing. Imagine you just keep doing. I'm thinking 50 years in, he's got some questions. I don't think this thing's ever going to get done. And I don't even know what this is for. It doesn't even make sense. Imagine God trying to explain to Noah what a flood even was. What does that even mean? How is it even possible? Come on. Imagine the scientists, because the, they do. We don't have to imagine. They do it. Imagine them sitting down and saying, it's not possible. There's not enough water on earth to flood the whole earth. <laughs> We have to just do what he's told us to do. I thought this was so interesting because so many times we're trying to figure out what's God's will, what's God's plan, but we have his word. What's his will, what's his plan, but we have his word. So many times the questions that we don't have answered are because we just haven't sought his word enough. We need to do what he told us last. If he's not telling you something in your life specifically to do, then just go to his word. He already told you what to do. Unless he tells you otherwise, do what he's already told us. God is preparing us, and he's doing it because of his love. And don't be afraid of the hard work of being a believer. If you will not be diligent about it, you will not make it. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has abandoned you because he's right there next to you the whole time, right? Who knows? Who, who knows God's right there with you the whole time? Every time you're down, every time you're struggling, he's always there. There's always somebody speaking to your life. You hear it on the radio. You hear another believer. Someone calls you up and says, I've been just thinking about you. I've been praying about you, right? God will not, it's not God. But there's a preparation that God's trying to get us to for what he has coming. And, and I'll just close with this. Uh, there's a famous quote by Abraham Lincoln. He said, if you gave me six hours to chop down a tree, right? I'm going to quote it properly. Then I will spend the first four sharpening the saw. Who's ever heard that quote, right? The ark, once he was on the ark, it was God. I had some more to go, but I'll just, I'll just leave it at this, right? We know what happens. He does all the preparation, 
all the preparation, God closes the door, God closes them in, right? Specifically, the only thing that he did not do was close the door. God sealed him in, God opens doors, God closes doors. And in between him opening and closing doors, what do we do? We just stay steady, we stay diligent, we do what he's asked us to do until he closes the door, right? Come on, this is not super spiritual stuff, this is pretty basic stuff. Until he closes the door, you keep doing what he's asked you to do, and then he closes the door. He seals it. He covers, and he leads. And then it was out of his hand. I mean, he's taking care of the animals. He's taking care of his family with everything he's prepared. What he's prepared is what he's prepared. That's it. There is no more. And at that point, his hands are off. has nothing to do with him anymore. That ship, right, that ark is going where the waters tell it, but God is it's, it's, it's out of your control. You, you do what you can do to get into that place of rest of God. Then you can just, you just let God. And God, it says even, I love the play on words. It says that the ark rested. I thought that was so funny. I know it's an American, it's an English word, right? But it was funny that even the ark rested. It rested on the mountain. Even the ark had to come to a rest, right? Everything rests. It does its job and then it rests. And so there's a diligence God's asked us to do something, but it's all, it's all about the, the um, preparation, right? It's all for a season, for a time. There will be eternity. I just keep, I just keep coming back to this because there's going to be eternity upon eternity upon eternity. We can't even fathom that to rest in the way that the world's craving and some sort of facade retirement, facade white picket fence, it's not real. I'm not telling you to then get into some sort of flesh human striving to be Christian, okay? But that place of rest is not on this earth. If it was, he would have told us that. It's an eternity. This whole thing's going to get wiped away. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. So why are you working so hard to build on this earth? We need to be focused on the kingdom, be building for the kingdom and so, anyway, Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you. We just give you glory, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, to seal this word into our hearts. And, Lord, do something internally with us, Lord God. Speak to us, Lord, yourself, through your word. And, Lord, create in us, Lord God, the desires. And, Lord, as your word says, and the ability to do what you've asked us to do. I thank you, Lord, to preserve Lord, just like this story, to preserve our families, to preserve the world around us, Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you and give you glory. Amen. Amen.